BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. This episode may contain content of a graphic nature. Listener discretion is advised. Thanks for joining us today on another episode of Body to Burial. I'm Mariah. And I'm Nikki. We're just two regular true crime junkies who decided it was time to see crime from a new perspective. This is Body to Burial. Well, how's it going over there? What are you doing? Trying to figure out how to do a calendar. Ugh, gotta love technology. Mm -hmm. I... Don't think I told you this when we talked earlier, but I'm like living in mom hell at the moment because my dishwasher broke this week and wait for it. My washing machine broke this week. <laughs> so I literally have dishes piled everywhere oh. and laundry in my kitchen, on the floor, in my bathroom, everywhere, everywhere. I would rather live without the dishwasher than a washing machine. Thank you. It is absurd. And then, so I'm trying to find a washer. And then, you know, because of everything that's going on in the world right now, the delivery times are problematic. <laughs> that sucks. So we are talking with Ashley, who is a firearms examiner. Ooh. Right? That's interesting. What is that? Super excited. So, well, I mean, I just have my CSI kind of education around that job. So I'm hoping she can really help us iron it out. But I'm pretty sure that's the individual that does the examining in the lab. Like what gun was used? Where was it shot from? What angle? You know, point of entry, exit, maybe potentially, I'm not totally sure, but I'm excited to talk to her and really understand what it is that she does and what, what her limitations are. Yeah. I'm not sure if she like goes to crime scenes or not, or if she strictly works in a lab. I don't know. And then sidebar, I would like to talk to her about the Alec Baldwin incident. Okay. Yes. Because from what I understand, he is claiming that he never pulled the trigger that he pulled down on the hammer, which I don't think should ever allow for a gun to go off when he released his finger off of that. I don't know. Like, don't you have to pull the trigger? Right. That's what I'm so I'd like to talk to her about like what she thinks in that situation, because I mean, you know, how does this stuff happen? Like the, 
he that gun should have been checked. It said it was a cold gun. Like a lot of actors themselves say that they personally check the guns again before they ever like interact with it on the set, you know, and yeah. Alec didn't do that. Like, but he's not technically required to yeah. per se, but then he's also a producer. So maybe you are like, there's a lot of like weird legalities and like different like layers to this problem, I think. But, um, obviously that's not something that you and I can fix or even attempt to like understand, but I am curious to like talk to Ashley and like see what she thinks. And because she knows, you know, handguns like fairly intimately, like what does she think potentially went wrong there? And like, what would have caused it to go off? Yeah. Cause we just went to Oatman. It's like this little like ghost town in Arizona And they have like this like bank robbery, like show where you go, everybody goes around in the, you know, it's like by the, by the hotel bank, whatever. And they do this fake bank robbery thing. And then they have like a shootout. (laughs) Um, my friend that we were with, like when they started shooting, she goes and running off. And I was like, what's happening? She thought this is a little too soon after the you know, the Alec Baldwin thing, because, and I didn't even really think about it, but I'm like, okay, we're standing behind these two dudes who, I mean, I would assume it's blanks, but then writers like right behind one of the guys that's pretending to be like shot by the bank robber. And then yeah. so I kind of like shoot him off to the side. Cause I figured, I mean, if it's not a blank, then at least it would get me before it gets him, but you never, I never really thought about it before until like obviously recently because it's all over the news. But yeah, you get a little nervous with these, I guess, prop fake guns, blanks, but then how do real bullets get in the mix of a prop one? You know what I mean? Right. A prop, right. Like they should have never, from what I understand, and again, like this is so different than what we're talking about. But from what I understand, um, they had taken those guns out and were shooting them like offset, like for fun, um, recreationally, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. Um, so who knows how it got worked back in and why it wasn't checked and et cetera, et cetera. I mean, there's, there's gotta be, I'm assuming some sort of like chain of custody and like, some sort of protocol that wasn't followed, you know? Yeah. Wouldn't you think that like the dummy ones would be a completely different color, like blue or green <sighs> or, you know what I mean? Like the shells, no, so then well, you know exactly like what's like the whole shell would be a color. Something so then you different. know it's like a dummy yeah. one. But I mean, I'm assuming that they didn't even open, I guess that's what the barrel. No, that's not the barrel. Is it the barrel? No, the barrels, I think like where it comes out of, I think it's the, uh, <laughs> shoot. Um, and this is how extensive our knowledge is, folks. <laughs> Ryan's gonna die. It's like the thing where the six bullets go, and then you you and it rolls. Yeah. What the hell is that called? The chamber? That I mean, yeah, that sounds right. Okay, let me look this up. <sighs> let me see. You sound like an expert to me. <laughs> I think is it the chamber? What is? The round thing <laughs> that. <laughs> oh my God. 
Lord help us. Bullets. And let me see. Let me see. I, let me, I'm looking at an image here. The cylinder. Oh. It's called and a six-shooter gun. It's a cylinder. See, so then I guess it depends on what type of gun it was, which that I'm afraid I don't know. The barrel which. is the long part. The long part. Okay, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, that's what it is. There we go. Ashley will be interesting because obviously she's going to be able to talk to us about how they use like bullets and like shell casings and how that is used as evidence, you know? Yeah. That's what Um, I always wondered. Like, how do they know does every bullet have like an identification thing on it? Well, I don't know about that. I mean, obviously there's just like the initial size of the bullet, right? Like you can pick up a shell and you'll know it's a 22 or what have you, but I'm not sure how they match it back to like a specific, like your gun, like, this, yeah. this, this bullet came out of Nikki's gun that Nikki owned. Like, I don't know if your gun makes its own sort of like imprint somehow. I wonder if they could trace it back to like, maybe there's an, I don't know, an identification thing on there. I'd be curious to wonder, know if that would be like a serial number and like you bought it at Walmart and that package, like how, it, how they do that. How they trace it back. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's like, I I have heard, I don't know if this is factual because again, I I will publicly admit my knowledge of guns is (laughs) very, 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 very limited. Mm -hmm. Um, But I have heard that like the shell casings all get like unique um, scratches or grooves or dents. Um, But I don't know if that's like, an intentional marking or if that's even true at all. Like I said, I don't really know. Um, huh. So I think it would be interesting. I think it's interesting to understand how they can link that all and yeah, how that that 100%. plays into effect as like hard factual evidence, you know, that can tie a weapon to a crime scene, which maybe potentially could tie an individual I don't know. All right. We got to call Miss Ashley. So I'm going to get her on the phone. Okay. Hello. Hey, Ashley. It's Mariah. Hi, Mariah. How are you? Hey, I'm good. How are you? Excellent. Thank you. Well, then I'm just going to merge my call really quick. Nikki, are you there? Yep. Okay. Ashley, are you still there? Yep. I'm still here. Awesome. We did it. Thanks so much for chatting with us today. It's so nice to meet you. Ashley, why don't you kick us off? Introduce yourself. Tell us your name, who you are, and what your job title is. Yes, um, I'm Ashley Rachel. Uh, I'm a firearms examiner. Currently uh, in between jobs, but I spent six years at the Department of Forensic Sciences in Washington, D.C. Amazing. So firearms examiner, what does that mean? Like Nikki and I were talking about this before you got on the line because she was like, okay, so like, what are we going to talk to her about? Like, what is that? And I was like, uh, well, from like my CSI (laughs) knowledge, I don't really know. Like, does that mean that you're working in a lab? Does that mean that you go to crime scenes? Like, what does that mean? What is your job? 
Great. Yeah, great question. Um, and I think it may vary a little bit depending on the lab um, that the person works in. For me, I do work in the lab. I'm 100% in the lab. I don't go to crime scenes at all. Uh, I primarily uh, spend most of my job either on a microscope or typing a report and doing worksheets on a computer. And that's where I'll compare cartridge cases or bullets or projectiles. I'll compare them side by side. And then my primary goal is determine if they were fired from a particular firearm. Uh, that's my main duty. Uh, I have performed like serial number restorations before. We test fire and function test any firearms submitted. So that's when we're shooting the firearms in a water tank. Uh, and then we're performing other uh, functions with the firearms, such as trigger pull and barrel length. But primarily, I'm on the microscope looking at these uh, bullets and uh, projectiles or cartridge cases. Walk me through it. So, like, you show up to work, and what what do you have? Like, what comes across your desk that you're going to be sticking under a microscope? Like, you had said that it could be like like projectiles or bullets. Like, what? what do you see most frequently? So it comes in and it comes in from like um, an evidence response team or who shuffles it to your desk? Right. So first, I guess it might be easier if I walk you through kind of like the general process at yes. the lab. I'd love that. Um, any firearm submitted um, from a crime in Washington, D.C., for example, um, we would test fire it. Um, so sometimes labs have technicians that do that. Sometimes examiners do that. But that process is receiving the firearm from a central repository. So for us, we had a central evidence unit. So somewhat all the evidence was filtered through that unit. So the first part would be to test fire the firearm if we had the firearm. Um, so the firearm gets test fired into a water tank. Um, nothing special about the water, just regular <laughs> water. Um, and the only reason that uh, we test fire into the water is to preserve the bullet. So the water will slow down uh, the bullet so that it doesn't come into contact with anything that could damage the bullet. And then we also get an evidence cartridge case from that firearm as well. So basically, we're collecting a, um, a sample from that firearm that can then be compared to evidence from a crime scene. And then uh, the second part is we enter those cartridge cases into a system called NIBIN, uh, which I'm sure we'll talk about more in detail later. But NIBIN is the National Integrated Ballistics Information Network. And basically that just um, is a repository for all the cartridge cases from all of the crimes. And it'll run scans or searches on those cartridge cases to see if they're linked to any other crimes. So if it's a homicide and it's the next one that needs to be worked, there could be firearms uh, submitted for that case. There could be cartridge cases. There could be bullets, uh, fragments. Anything firearms related will kind of all be married up into one big evidence bag or if it's a big case, some sort of evidence bin. 
and I'll walk to this locker and I'll retrieve the evidence from that locker and now I'm ready to do the examiner portion of the case. So I'll do trigger pull on the firearm. I'll ensure all the safety mechanisms are functional. I'll do a safety or function test of the firearm. Um, and then I should already have those representative samples from that firearm from the test fire process. So I have a set of bullets and a set of cartridge cases from that gun already. Um, and now I can compare that to the evidence submitted in, in the case. So, so if we were talking about cartridge cases um, first, I'll group those into class characteristics. So class characteristics could be the caliber of the firearm. So for example, a 9mm Luger and a 40 Smith & Wesson. Those are two different calibers, um, so they wouldn't, I wouldn't compare those cartridge cases on the microscope because I already know they were fired from two different firearms. So I'll kind of group them um, by class characteristics, and then when I have those different groups, that's when I'll put them on the microscope um, to compare them side by side. And this is when I'm looking at the unique imperfections of the manufacturing marks on the firearm that were transferred to the cartridge case during the firing process. So this is what makes the firearm unique. Okay, because that, that's a question that Nikki and I were talking about back and forth where I told her I wasn't sure if it was an accurate thing that I had heard, but I had heard that um, there was some sort of markings that usually ended up on like casings um, or indentations. So those are intentional and they are specific to one firearm only? Correct. The individual characteristics are characteristics of one firearm only. So the, um, I'll take a step back. So there are class characteristics and individual characteristics. Okay. So class characteristics are determined by the firearms manufacturer and they're held by a certain group of firearms um, typically like that make and model. Um, so if we're talking about bullets, for example, let's switch gears a little bit. If we're talking about bullets, a firearm manufacturer has determined what caliber they want that to be, to be able to be fired out of a specific firearm. So caliber is a class characteristic. Another characteristic is if the bullet is gonna rotate down the barrel to the left or to the right. So clockwise or counterclockwise. That's determined by the manufacturer because all because the barrel has grooves, um, lands and grooves cut out in the barrel and that imparts a spin on the projectile which makes it more accurate. So that direction of spin is determined by the manufacturer and that can rotate to the left and to the right. Another class characteristic of bullets is the number of lands and grooves in the barrel. So as I said, the manufacturer will cut out lands and grooves in the barrel to kind of impart the spin on it. The number of lands and grooves that that manufacturer has decided to cut into that barrel is individual to that manufacturer. So you could have six lands and grooves and the bullet can rotate to the right um, and that would narrow it down to a certain subclass of a certain group of firearms. So if I have um, a group of bullets that all have the same class characteristic, 
I would then put them on the microscope to look at the individual characteristics. And that's what you were speaking to when you said that they're unique to one firearm and one firearm only. Say, for example, let's go back to the bullets and the barrel. So the barrel is a very strong metal, but the tools making that barrel have to be of an even stronger material because they're physically cutting that metal. So when the machine goes through the barrel to make those lands and grooves, to make those cuts, they're changing the barrel microscopically. So the little flakes of metal that get shaved away during this process, the tool is changing and then they're creating the microscopic marks and imperfections on that barrel. And then when the bullet goes down the barrel, those unique imperfect uh, marks are being transferred from the barrel to the bullet. This is neat. I didn't even know that this was so like intricate of a, of a job, really. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't know. I just thought it was like what you see in the movies where it's like, you know, you slap the bullet on someone's desk and then they're like, it's from this guy's gun. And then the case is solved, you know? Yeah, it's actually pretty crazy because it's a two-year training program to be a firearms examiner. You have to understand how the firearms are manufactured so you understand the unique marks that could be present on the firearm. Then you have to understand the manufacturing of ammunition, and then you have to cover the actual comparison parts on the microscope. And then a majority of the training is how to testify in court and kind of how to explain your job to um, a layperson, since those are the people that need to believe you and need to understand what you're talking about when you're on the stand. So it takes an average of at least two years uh, to complete the training. Wow. Yeah. So every gun has like a, I guess, like a thumbprint, like their own thumbprint. Yes, exactly. And it could be in different um, parts of the firearm, depending on the evidence that you're looking at. So let's just say you have like a casing and they're just like, this is all we were able to retrieve from the crime scene. What what all can we learn from just a casing? So if it's just a single cartridge case, you can learn the class characteristics of that. So you can know the caliber of firearm. You can look at the firing pin impression shape. So the firing pin of the firearm is unique as well. Okay. Uh, so the shape of that firing pin impression uh, would be imparted on the cartridge case. So you can have hemispherical firing pin impressions. You can have elliptical firing pin impressions, which are more of a like a rectangular shape. Uh, the other thing that you could learn from a cartridge case is how the breech face uh, was manufactured. So the breech face is the area where the firing pin aperture or the hole from which the firing pin protrudes from. That's the breech face of the firearm and the cartridge case is going to slam up against that breech face. So any marks from the breech face or the firing pin are going to be transplanted uh, onto the cartridge case. That's interesting. I just watched this thing on um, Netflix, The Night Stalker. I was watching that documentary on Netflix and they were saying that he had these like a red tipped bullet or whatever. And that's how they can link him to different other crimes and other like in up north and other things because it was a little more specific. Like they're used from 
the same right person. so I don't think I'm specific uh, like I don't know if um, I don't know the case you're speaking of specifically but I do know that there are certain bullets out there um, made by Hornady that have like a red plastic tip in the bullet and that could be a helpful if like if you found those red tips um, it helps the bullet expand a little bit better um, so if you were to find those red tips at multiple crime scenes that wouldn't be an indication at all that they were committed by necessarily the same person because a lot of those bullets exist out there and you know mm. the manufacturer makes them that way i mean it could definitely like help you in terms of like oh hey these cases may be linked let's compare the bullets but a lot of different firearms can fire that particular ammunition mm. but it could give like an indication to the investigator as to hey maybe these are linked but you would still need the um firearms examiner to look at the evidence under the microscope because that red tip is another like we talked about that could be a class characteristic of that ammunition because a lot of bullets manufactured would have that can you link the bullet back to like where potentially the person bought it or that's just too you can't it's not that specific it's not typically not that specific if you just have the cartridge case. Um, if you had this physical box of ammunition that had maybe like the lot number on it, that might be different. You might be able to um, search that lot number, get in contact with the cartridge manufacturer. Um, but if you don't have that information and you just have like the, the bullet or just have the cartridge case, you wouldn't be able to link it back to a store. And the gun itself has like a serial number on it, right? And that's how you would link it back to a person who has it registered? Correct. Yes. I mean, if they purchased it legally and they sold it um, <laughs> and, you know, they sold it and kept track of all that stuff. Yes, you could potentially uh, link the firearm back to the seller and or the last registered own owner. That's correct. Ashley, you mentioned and since Nikki talked about it, how there is like the serial numbers on the actual guns. You had mentioned that you've done some like serial number restoration. What it what does that look like? How are you able to kind of restore that serial number that they've either tried to scratch off or damage? Yes, yes. So usually when someone tries to obliterate a serial number or remove it from the firearm, um, they're, like you said, gouging or scratching um, the surface of that uh, serial number. So typically from the naked eye, you think, oh, yep, yeah, no, they've completely obliterated the serial number. There's no way of knowing what the serial number is. Uh, but we can actually apply chemicals uh, to that serial number to restore it. Um, so you can kind of think of if you had like a big, thick notebook and you're pressing really hard and you're writing someone a note and then you flip the page, like you can sometimes still see the impress marks um, underneath that second sheet of paper, even even though the pen didn't go through that. It's kind of the same thing with a serial number. So when the manufacturer applies that serial number, it's actually going down multiple layers into the metal. And when they obliterate it, they're just scratching that top surface of the metal. So when we apply the chemicals, it's kind of deteriorating the top layer almost or removing those scratches and um, allowing us to see deeper layers into the metal where then that's where we can still see the original serial number that was applied by the manufacturer. That is crazy. And that's all something that like, I mean, obviously you need the 
the gun for, and then that's when you would like track it back to whoever was the registered owner. But what happens if say like someone stole it from them or whatever, then it's just like you would never figure out who really scratched it off and who really used it. And it's just kind of a cold case sort of a thing. Well, I think that's where like the detective work comes in, right? It's like figuring out like, okay, that gun belonged to Bob, but Bob said it went missing and was stolen from here. Like, you know, I think that's where like all that. Absolutely. And that's something that we, we never hear anything about. Typically they work closely more so with the ATF um, when it comes to tracing the firearms. That's not something that um, individual labs get involved with. So the detective would have to work with some other agency to kind of get information about that as well. How frustrating that would be for you. Cause I would be curious, like each thing that comes across my little microscope, I would be like, okay, well, what's the conclusion? <laughs> you know? Right. Right. <laughs> right. And I think, you know, and sometimes, um, I, I, I really believe there are some cases that I work as a firearms examiner that may have already been solved, honestly. Like maybe they didn't need my report. Maybe they captured it all on video or maybe they used DNA. But by the time I get to the case, you know, I'm still working it and I have no idea that someone's already, you know, sitting behind bars for for that murder like I don't know any of that <laughs> oh that's so fr- I would be like dying like can I just get a little recap of each little uh case file that would drive me crazy right. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely yes I'd be bummed yeah yeah I need a little more more action than that expect how long are you spending <laughs> on that like how long are you spending on like a a bullet or a case is that like a week-long thing or a day thing um it definitely depends on how much evidence is recovered um for sure so if there's you know we and we've worked cases where there you know there's hundreds of pieces of evidence and you know that can take a lot of time but i would say the average case um would probably take at least in my experience would take about three to four days, um, maybe a week. But again, you know, there are so like, I've also heard of cases that have taken three months just from the firearms examiner perspective, because of the amount of evidence. And a lot of that is like the report writing aspect of it as well and the worksheets. So it's more of like the uh, administrative part, which I think is another uh, misconception, you know, <laughs> that it's all fun and games and that forensics is so cool. And it's all like, I'm just sitting on the microscope and shooting guns all day. And it's Literally, like, yeah. you know, <laughs> like I picture you like Annie Oakley, just like shooting guns. <laughs> yeah. I wish that was a majority of it, but <laughs> not always. <laughs> One of the things that you always see when you're, you know, watching CSI and stuff is that they're always talking about the gunpowder residue and they have their little powder brush and they're like going over the firearms and stuff. Is that something that is viable? Is that something that you handle in your lab? So, uh, so there's uh, with the powder, I just wanted to clarify. So sometimes they'll use fingerprint powder on the firearm to determine if there's fingerprints. So that's where on the um, CSI and stuff, if you see someone taking a brush, like a physical, like fingerprint brush over the firearm, they're probably looking for fingerprints on that firearm. And our lab does that, but it's done by a different unit than myself. It'll go through the 
fingerprint processing before it gets to the firearms examination unit, um, as well as swabbing for, for DNA. So if they're swabbing the firearm with a Q-tip, um, that's typically them trying to collect like skin cells uh, for DNA analysis. The gunshot residue aspect um, is kind of what Um, particles are deposited during the actual firing of the firearm. So that's when sometimes you'll see on CSI, they'll swab someone's hand with a Q-tip or they'll test clothing for gunshot residue. Our lab and our agency, we don't do any of the testing with like swabbing suspects or shooters um, to determine if they have gunshot residue on their hand. Uh, We don't really, we don't come into contact with the suspect. How did you get into that? Like, what made you like, because I'm looking at your picture with the microscope and I'm like, she's so cute. How did did you get into like firearms? (laughs) Yeah. um, I mean, it's a little bit of a, you know, longer answer if I take you all the way back. So when I was since third grade, I knew I wanted to do something with science. I just had an awesome third grade teacher that, you know, was obsessed with science and the outdoors. And I'm like, oh, you know, I'm definitely going to do a career in science. And I think that was the first Christmas I got a toy, a toy microscope that, you know, that I had wanted. (laughs) So I'm 33 years old. So I was definitely a product of the CSI effect. So I would watch it all the time. I was like, oh my God, that's so cool. It's science. I get to help people. I was like, that's what I want to do. And my first job was actually in a lab where we processed IEDs from overseas to develop the fingerprints. And like uh, we had a photography uh, unit that would take pictures of the fingerprints and hopefully, you know, put them on, you know, no fly lists and stuff like that. Uh, And I loved it. I was like, oh, this is cool. I'm still doing forensic science. I'm doing exactly what I wanted to do. And then I got a job at the Department of Forensic Sciences in Washington, D.C., in their fingerprint unit, obviously, like based on my background and everything. And then so when the position opened up in the firearms examination unit, I was kind of like, "Ooh, I'm like, I don't know anything about guns. The cool thing is like you'll learn and gain skills in one area of forensics that you can definitely transfer um, to other careers, which is super cool. Yeah. I mean, if I, I would, if I could turn back time and go back to like go to school and change a different path, I would want to do like crime scene investigation. Cause I'm like, Oh, I could do yeah. that. But then Yeah. Like I didn't know there was that much stuff involved with crime scene investigation. I thought that I was like going to bring the yellow tape and like, (laughs) right. Right. And then now I do hair and makeup. So, (laughs) (laughs) but like in my head, I would turn back time and be crime scene investigation and you just painted it so different than like what was in my head. <laughs> well, I mean, even for me, I mean, like knowing I wanted to do forensics. I mean, if you told me like as I was watching CSI that I'm going to be a firearms examiner, I'm just going to look at bullets and cartridge cases all day. You know, I'd be like, no, no, I'm, I'm going to be I'm going to be that person on TV right there that does all the things. And it's just like, OK, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. Like with the windbreaker that says like CSI. <laughs> Yep. (laughs) So I have to ask, Ashley, when you go to work, do you have your white lab coat and your safety goggles? (laughs) Um, Absolutely not. Um, I could literally wear um, whatever I want um, as long as I had closed toe shoes on. 
yeah, just wear normal clothes <laughs> every day. 99% of my job is in my little cubicle with my microscope, like, you know, jeans and a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> what about like, and this is probably not your department, but what I don't, I would wonder what department it is, is like a, like a bow and arrow as a Ooh. weapon, you know? Like yeah, what? yeah. <laughs> no, that's interesting. That's interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, that's a. I don't, I've actually <laughs> stumped me. I've actually never got that question before. That's so funny. Yeah, um, I just I want because yeah. well, <laughs> we go to the desert and like um, ride motorcycles and stuff. And I bought a um, I bought a bow and arrow. It's like this like little Sioux that like does has like these like soft tips. And I think I'm Katniss mm -hmm. from you know. Um, oh, yeah, games. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I oh, always wonder awesome. like what would happen like because I mean <laughs> I'm not like a bow and arrow person I'm just shooting right. a little <laughs> whole bow and arrow but I just that Ooh. was like when you do bullets I was thinking like well what happens if it's a bow and arrow and who yeah. would who would right. like, check that out? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, not to speculate, but to, you know, put something out there. I mean, I think it would mostly be the medical examiner, I think, in terms of like the wound, like how the wound was cut. I mean, mm. if you're having a medical examiner on your show, I think you should ask them. <laughs> you know what um, happens? Ask every single guest now, do you know who will examine the bow and arrow? Because, <laughs> yeah, besides like testing it for blood and DNA, the actual arrow, I mean, you don't have anything to compare that arrow there's, back to, I guess. There's you no, know, there's no arrow no... analyst out there. <laughs> Maybe you just invented a new department. <laughs> I think I did. I mean, I don't think it's really happening nowadays with bow and arrows, but I was just picturing myself in the desert with my little Sue and like, what would, <laughs> oh, what oh, would happen? Oh, that's too funny. <laughs> too funny how much information do you get like when you go to collect like your evidence that you're going to be going through and examining do you do you have any background of like where that came from or like this was a double homicide or right or do you literally just pick up a bag and get to work with like no backstory yes, typically yeah typically I'm just picking up a bag um and getting to work with having so few examiners in Washington DC and you know having a lot of cases we primarily were just working homicides uh, at that point so generally speaking I knew I was picking up a homicide case uh to work on but other than that I wouldn't have any uh details of of the case I would just be yeah just looking at the evidence um and doing my analysis Analysis and issuing my report. I don't know like the number of, you know, victims or the number of suspects or um, anything like that, other than, you know, probably having an inclination, you know, that it was a homicide. Um, I wouldn't um, have any other information. Do you ever like, because for me, because I'm like just a curious person by nature and I'm like a dog with bone, like I feel like I would be laying in bed being like, okay, I'm going to Google, there must have been a homicide double like I would be trying to figure out like on my own time like where exactly these things came from like do you ever feel like a compulsive need to like get more information or do you just not even really think about it 
Personally, no, I, I don't. I, I don't think about it. Um, and I think it's just kind of, you know, going to work every day and just, you know, doing the same thing. I mean, if I if I had to do that, you know, I could I would be doing that multiple times a week, you know, because going into work and doing a homicide. And sometimes by the time we would get to a case, it'd be weeks or, you know, we have a backlog. So it could be weeks or months um, later that we would finally start working on this case that, you know, that has already happened. So, yeah, I actually don't kind of feel the need to like, you know, search through stuff like that. And I actually personally, I just like don't watch the news because yeah. of how depressing <laughs> it is. So, yeah. I mean, I'm sure it's different <laughs> for each person, but. <laughs> so do you feel like your job is like, I hate to phrase it this way, but almost like a nine to five where like when you're done, you can clock out and separate? Or do you feel like there are aspects that you like bring home with you? Um, I personally, for me, I have a really good, um, like work life balance. So for me, it is more easy to kind of check out, um, at the end of the day. I don't want to sound like heartless kind of, you know, I feel like, (laughs) I feel like I'm still like, you know, love my job. Like I'm glad I'm helping people. And I know that like, I'm, I am bringing justice to people, but because it's kind of like, I'm just looking at the evidence. It's not as hard for me to be like, work and then home kind of mindset. Is it weird when you go on, like when you have to testify in court to see the person that's attached to the, like the bullet or the gun or, you know what I mean? Like, do you ever, is that weird? Honestly, I think a lot of people will be surprised by this, but in my six years of working in the firearms examination unit, I have never testified in court. Really? Which is which is crazy. It's completely uh, it's nuts. Um, but uh, in Washington, D.C., they'll actually stipulate to your report a lot of the times. And so many um, people take um, a plea deal. So I, I don't uh, I've never had the opportunity to um, testify on the stand. I've had like witness conferences with detectives where uh, the detectives will come in and will sit down and they'll want to understand my report and my conclusions. And I'll walk them through my analysis and how I came to my conclusions and we'll look through my case file. But I've actually and I've always wanted to, you know, I have so much <laughs> yes. training and how to testify. You know, it's like all this training is being wasted. Uh, but I actually have never had the opportunity to testify in court. That's crazy. What would you say, like, if you were going in to testify um, and you were, like, able to address the jury, like, openly and freely? Because obviously you can tell Nikki and I don't really have, like, an understanding of firearms and firearms forensics. So, but, you know, these individuals are going to be the ones that are making the decision if this evidence is substantial enough. What what would you say to them to help them understand that it is a science that is very, I don't definitive, I guess like it's it's very black and white. I think it's important for them to know how we are able to come to our conclusions. And I would have to walk them through, you know, how a firearms manufactured Mm -hmm. and how those marks are left on the firearm and then how those mark those unique marks are transferred from the firearm to the ammunition components. What happened like when you your friends when they are people that you meet and they're like, what do you do for work? Are they always like, what? 
<laughs> you know, <and> yes. you <laughs> yes, yeah, everyone, yeah, everyone thinks it's crazy cool. Um, they can't believe it. Um, and that's kind of always been like my husband mostly uses it as an icebreaker when we meet someone new. He'll just like interject into random conversations, like, oh, you know, ask my wife what she does for a living. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so embarrassing. <laughs> I love um, it. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's definitely, um, I love talking about it. Um, I love my job. So it's really cool. And it is an easy way to break the ice. But yeah, everyone's like, oh, that's a real career. Like, I can't believe I've met someone that actually does that. And you know, every time after I explain what I do, they'd be like, oh, like CSI. And I'm like, yeah, OK, I'll just say, yeah, it's just like that, you know, just to kind of like save the conversation. You know, I don't want to give them a two hour spiel of how it's not like CSI. So I'll just be like, yeah, it's exactly like that. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool, though. Yeah, absolutely. Ashley, I did want to ask your opinion. Again, Nikki and I were talking about this before you joined us. Um, But we were talking about the Alec Baldwin situation. Mm. And, you know, maybe you can help me understand because I'm confused with my, you know, um, understanding. But, you know, in his most recent interview that he sat down and talked um, through the incident, he had said that he basically had cocked the hammer and, you know, moved his hand according to the, how the director had asked him to. And that when he was finished, he released the hammer back to like a normal position. And then the trigger goes off. Mm -hmm. That can happen. Like, I'm so confused how (laughs) that, like, I'm like, what am I missing? Yeah, I guess. Th- th- um, this is hilarious because I didn't know any, like I said, I don't watch the news. So I didn't know anything about this Alec Baldwin situation until last night. My husband and I watched the Hulu ABC. Yes. Okay. Yes. Document. That's what yeah. I literally watched this last night and that's the only reason. And my husband asked me like 12 million questions about it. So that's the <laughs> only reason I feel comfortable even talking about this. Cause I literally just talked about this last night. I mean, and without the gun, I obviously can't say for certain, but no, it, uh, it would be, unless there was something physically wrong with a firearm, it would be impossible for the firearm to go off without pulling the trigger. So the action that he's describing of how he cocked the um, he cocked the hammer and let the hammer go in a normal a normally functioning revolver that would not that would not happen. The firearm would not have discharged if that's the way he's describing it. So Nikki, you were right then potentially there could be a malfunction with the firearm itself then. Cuz I don't know guns at all, but I, I was like, like that's well, what maybe she had like said. there's a yeah of like something was wrong with it. But then I was thinking too, like the dummy, this is what I don't get is like the dummy bullets. Why aren't they a different color than like normal looking bullets? Like, wouldn't you know if one is a dummy bullet that's in there or like all blue or all purple or something? Right. I mean, yeah. So to answer like kind of both of your questions. So the first part, yeah, I would agree that either he did pull the trigger and he's saying that he didn't or um there is a malfunction with the firearm so the firearm is only intended to go off once the trigger is pulled um because there's a safety mechanism that's blocking that a safety mechanism is blocking that 
firing pin or that hammer from engaging with the cartridge unless the trigger is pulled. So, so wait, either that's is broken. Is there a way for or, them to, mm-hmm. sorry to interrupt you, but is there a way for them to take that gun and do an analysis of it to see if there is it like that it was broken? Correct. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. A firearms examiner should be able to determine that. Yes. Yes. So, yeah. So either he pulled the trigger um, and he's saying that he didn't or there was a physical um, malfunction with the safety of the firearm. Um, so those would be, in my opinion, um, those would be the only two um, things that could be could have been wrong um, with that gun um, going off. Um, and then to answer your other question about the dummy rounds is that's very true. So there, there are are a ton of different dummy rounds out there. Um, we at our lab, we have a variety of them as well. So some of them are plastic and they're orange. Like there's the whole thing is orange. Everything like the cartridge case is orange. The bullet is orange. Like you would have no doubt that that's a dummy round. Um, so they do make those. Um, and yes, in my opinion, you would want dummy rounds that were easily, you know, noticeable as yeah. being dummy rounds. But like I said, I just watched this last night, um, which is funny. So the ones that they were showing, I was confused about that as well, because at least from the video, I couldn't tell how those dummy rounds, I didn't zoom in or pause it in any way. Um, but from that documentary, I couldn't see how those dummy rounds looked different um, than cartridge cases. So, you know, maybe if I slowed it down or paused or zoomed in, I would see something. Uh, But the dummy rounds that I'm familiar with, you can physically tell that they're different. Yeah, I was telling Mariah, we just went to, for over Thanksgiving, we went to this, uh, we stayed at our friend's house and then we drove up to this little town in Arizona, Oatman, where it's like this ghost town and they do this bank robbery thing. And, um, and then it's a shootout and like, we are standing behind the one of the robbers and my friend like walks off and I'm like I didn't even think about it until the whole Alex Baldwin thing but she's like yeah I'm getting a little nervous like what happens if those aren't dummies and I'm standing right behind the guy and then I look down and look at my son and I was like oh he's like right behind the guy so it's just these two guys shooting at each other and I was like I'm getting a little nervous too right yeah I kind of like absolutely shuffled to the side a little bit and then put him onto the the other side because I'm like you know if I'm yeah. gonna get some shrapnel I guess all it'll be me then like no yeah then. I mean and there's no way to tell if a gun is loaded unless you physically look at it yourself you know what I mean so yeah being a bystander or being you know just someone standing there or a gun is pulled on you and you, you just see the firearm it would be nearly impossible to tell you know if it was loaded or not Yeah, because it like sounds this. I mean, it it was loud, too. I had never let you know. And the kids, we all jumped after he shot the first like one. And I'm like, oh, oh, God, I'm getting a little nervous Mm -hmm, mm because it was a little scary. But then, yeah. So then I was like thinking, you know, we're here just to watch some like little shootout in the street and I never would have thought twice about it if the Alec Baldwin thing wasn't going on and I would have been like oh this is fun I never thought that you can accidentally load it with live bullets and you know accidentally shoot someone so yeah it's I didn't know that was crazy yeah you probably look at 
guns and movies and TV, how I look at hair and makeup, where I'm like, <laughs> you know, where I'm like, mm, that's not real, <laughs> you know, or like, yeah. you know, like different like makeup or, you know, my husband's always like, are they really bald? I'm like, no, that's a bald cap. <laughs> <You know? laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's cool. Yeah, I, I bet you it is very similar. No, that's awesome. That's funny. Well, thank you for joining us, Ashley. It's been so good chatting with you and like learning more about your job and what you do. In closing, is there any takeaways for our listeners or anything that we haven't covered? Words of wisdom that you want to share with us? Um, I think something that I always like to mention, you know, as a takeaway is, you know, for for future jury members and um, things like that, you know, we're just we're we're just working the evidence. You know, we're looking at the case. We're examining the evidence to the best of our abilities. You know, we we don't know if someone wants the answer to be yes, these cartridge cases were fired from the same gun or no, these cartridge cases weren't fired from this gun. You know, we don't have any indication um, like what the end goal that someone might have in their head or what the detective is trying to prove. You know, all we have is the evidence. You know, I'm just working the case from, you know, the examiner's perspective and using, you know, my training and experience to come to those conclusions. Awesome. I love it. We are just going to ask you a series of um, just kind of fun questions, just like a few. Okay. Um, The first one that I'll ask, we ask all of our guests, but what song would be the perfect theme song for your job? Ooh, uh, um, perfect theme song. I have no idea. I, I've never thought about this. I literally just had one <laughs> pop into my head. What was that one? Uh, Janie's got a gun. Yeah, sorry, I don't have one for that. That's a funny one, but oh yeah, I cannot. Nothing even jumped into my head. Isn't that an Aerosmith song, Nikki? Uh, yeah, I think I it think is. It I'm is. like singing it in my head. Don't mind my an- um, my voice. It sounds like an angel. I know. <laughs> That's a great song. <laughs> yes. For some reason, that just popped into my head. You got one for her, Nikki? Oh, let's see. If you were cast in a true crime series, well, who would you play? I'm just going to go with old school Grissom. You know, he's the one that got me excited to be a forensic scientist. And he was, uh, at least back when I watched CSI, he was he was the coolest one of them all. And I was like, I want to be him. <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> all right, I got one. So what profession would you tell people you do if you don't want to spend the night talking about your job honestly I would this is probably not the answer you want to hear but I would probably still tell them the same thing just because I think it's super cool Um, but I would probably just simplify it to be like oh I shoot guns all day and then I look at the evidence under a microscope I mean I think I'd find a way to shorten it (laughs) but I am like I love it so much and I think it is super cool Um, so I I think I would still tell people that I just shoot guns all day or something like that I love it I love it what are your hobbies? Ooh, yoga, working out. I like to run. Um, and then I read in my free time. Okay. What kind of books? <laughs> we both love to read. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, 
be fiction, but yeah, they're definitely, you know, thriller, suspense, you know, murder mystery kind of things. Okay. No, <laughs> I'm going to throw this out there. I just started reading this book. It's super fun. I've literally read cover to cover in like a day and a half. The Inheritance Game. Go read it. Ooh, okay. It's super fun. It's a series. It's super okay. easy. Like, it's kind of like chill, but like fun and twisty. It's a great one. Okay, I'm writing that down as we speak, actually. So I'm I'm always looking for a new book. So that's awesome. Okay, I've got one for you because I'm having dishwasher problems in my house right now. So I'll ask you, do your dishes get rinsed before being loaded into the dishwasher or do you just stick your dishes right in? I probably rinse them too much. Like at that point, I could probably just hand wash them, but I <laughs> rinse them hardcore like... They're like crystal clean by the time I put them in the dishwasher, I but I still put them. them in the dishwasher. Oh, that's the oh, worst see? part. I'm like, that's why they're in the dishwasher. I just no, them in. No, Ashley and I are on the same page about this one. Like the dishwasher is supposed to be like a sanitary rinse. Like you do yeah. not put all no. your yak in the dishwasher. That's why it's yeah. in there. I'll put it on like, I'll put the faucet on like the hardest, like, um, you know, to rinse it off as best as I can. Like by the time I put it in the dishwasher, it doesn't even look like it's been eaten off. <laughs> no, perfect. Mine you is can, like you can visit on my house cheese. anytime. That's great. <laughs> Mine still has melted cheese that like the fork didn't pop off. <laughs> are they like, clean oh. when the dishes are when the dishwasher is done? Yeah. <laughs> it's Shout out super to your dishwasher. <laughs> Uh, I have a Bosch one, but also that's when I do, um, that's when I do the dishes. My husband's very, he's, he said, I don't know how to wash dishes. So he does the dishwasher. So (laughs) I mean, maybe he takes them out and rinses it and then they look like your guys's, but I can actually see him doing that. Probably. He's probably, Oh God, I can't believe she put this in here dirty. I'm going to rinse this. Like literally my cereal still has Cheerios on the side of it. Just like stuck because I didn't rinse it. Oh my God. So much anxiety. (laughs) Did I give you a good visual? Yeah. No, yes, you did. (laughs) What would you be in? This is just a silly one too. What would you be embarrassed to admit that you hoard? Hmm. Everyone hoards something. I know. Yeah. Books. Hmm. No, I usually give them to my mom when I'm done. Um, I probably keep too many like plastic bags from the um, grocery store. Oh, like, oh, I'm one. totally going to use this someday. I mean, I know like almost everyone has like, you know, a bag of other bags, but I probably have more than the normal person. Yeah. I always feel like I paid 10 cents and then I talk, <laughs> say that I'm going to like go. Yeah, because we don't like, have to pay them again. Mickey, so we can like. What? Use, same, yeah, same. we can just take what? as many okay. as we want. You don't yep. have to pay for bags. No. Nope. What? <laughs> that would probably really help my hoarding because it, I also would be really mad that I had to pay for a bag. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I was pissed when I had to pay 10 cents. My first 10 cents, I was like, what? <laughs> and then you think that it would make me, I can't even tell you how many stupid like reusable bags that I've bought and thinking I'm going to take them in and not one <laughs> goes in with me. 
not one. Yeah. So <laughs> that's something I wish I, I would go. do more, but I don't. But yeah, I wish I would take more reusable bags to help the environment. But yeah, you're right. They never yeah. make it into the store. Yeah, they would never make it out of my trunk. No. And then by the time I remembered, like, oh, they're in the trunk. Oh, fine. Just, just give me the box. Yes. And then I pay the 10 cents every single time. And sometimes it equals to 90 cents. And then I'm pissed. <laughs> Yeah, that's not great. Yes, I can't believe you guys don't pay. I thought this was like a nationwide thing. No, nope. <laughs> that's a California thing. Oh my! God. I think it actually is a thing in Washington D.C. as well, but I live in Maryland, so it's not a thing here. Oh my god! I had no clue. I thought I, I thought everybody is paying ten cents. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds so stupid, but yeah, no. Okay, that's a little fun little thing I just learned. (laughs) Perfect. All right, well, I don't have any more questions. Nikki, you have any final thoughts or questions for her? Uh, No, I think I'm good. That was fun. Cool. Awesome, ladies. This was so good. You guys were excellent. This was so much fun. I enjoyed this so much. Thank you for educating us because we are very uneducated in this arena, so we appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, no problem at all. And I mean, obviously, you know, via email or we could do this all again for all I care because I enjoyed it so much. But let me know if you guys have any, you know, follow ups. This was a blast. Well, I texted my husband and told him that I was like, oh, we're talking to a firearms expert. And then he was like, well, I could have been a guest on this because he's all into (laughs) it. Loves all this. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. (laughs) So yeah, so maybe good. we'll have a um, a guest interview with him. I, I, think, I think you should. I think you should. Yeah, yeah, yeah see how he does. <laughs> I love it. All right. Well, awesome. thank well, you. Thank you. Thank you, ladies. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Thanks so much. Pleasure. Bye. Okay, bye. Bye. Okay, so what do you think? Loved her. She's so cute. So easy to talk to. She's so cute. She's adorable. Yes. 100%. She's like one of those like Barbies that you're like, what? I don't know what I was picturing as a firearms person, but I was not picturing her. You can't judge a book by the cover. Like, there you go. Did not expect it. But holy crap, did I learn so much about her job? Like, clearly I was super uneducated. It's amazing to me what she can accomplish by not even leaving a lab. I just didn't know that they went through such a process to get to her and then a process after her. Yeah, there's a lot of people involved. It it seems to pass through a lot of hands. And I would be really frustrated that you never get like a conclusion to what you're working on. That would suck. Oh, my God. Like the more that we're talking to these people, the part that literally nags my soul is that none of them ever get any like follow through Mm. on what happens. Because I couldn't imagine being the other person person of this that like collected all the bullets and all the casings and then passed it to Ashley and then was like, okay, I'm all done. Yeah. I'd be like, Ashley, what's up girl? What'd you find? (laughs) Yes. What do you think? Like there's no way I could just never like close the loop. Like give me a little juice. What's up? But I guess that's why I don't do a job like that. In my head, I thought that all those jobs were one person. I mean, but she's right. Like in the shows, they make it think that it's like this little team that just like moves from point A to B to C together doing all these things. And that's not 
what's happening. Like this team's working on backlogs from weeks ago. And this team's like she said, she has stuff from months ago that may have already been solved, which is bonkers to me. That's so crazy. It really is. I I think my biggest takeaway is if I'm going to, you know, commit a crime, I'm going to do a bow and arrow. Because like they don't even have a department for that. So right? I'm not kidding. Because let me tell you, with my little Sue when I'm shooting it in my head, I really think that I'm like Katniss. A, it never hits 100%. a freaking target. That's just number one. But in my head, I just am like, okay, I can do this. And last time when we went to the desert, I brought like a pumpkin, and I really thought that I was just going to be just smashing that thing with that arrow. And one of my arrows broke. So then and I only have two. Okay. Oh no. I only have two. One of the arrows was broken and the other one had like the little like feathery part that okay. was like, it makes it like go like all sideways and like, <laughs> so mm. Christmas I ordered a lot of arrows because I'm just going to be really perfecting my bow and arrow skills. Your skills. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Seems like a great way to go. Thank you. And if anybody would like to start up a arrow forensic department, I think they should reach out to you. Oh, so I could be a test shooter. Yes. That would be good. Well, that was a good one. Until next week. Until next week. Thank you so much for listening and supporting us. We do encourage you to follow us at Instagram at Body to Burial. Hit us up on Twitter at Body to Burial. And you guessed it, you can send us an email to hello at bodytoburial.com. If you have any guest suggestions, just let us know. Please hit the subscribe button or follow button on whatever app you are listening to. Thanks so much, guys. See you next time.